it's the big interview of the Euros and the gift of a big tournament is that we get to speak to an accidental footballer for the second time on the big interview. That accidental footballer, author, broadcaster, wit, DJ, is a great favourite, not just of ours, but of everybody who listened to the big interview and who listens to him on Off the Ball, the BBC, but especially who witnessed him playing. Pat Nevin, um, you've earned this affection that I'm uh, hinting at in my introduction to you uh, because you're a a rather special man. But are you, in fact, an accidental footballer? It has to be said completely um, because I didn't think it was that weird because I was just living my life um, and I loved playing football and I loved it all my life and I loved it as a kid and uh, any opportunity to play football I played. Did I want to be a professional footballer? Did it cross my mind? Absolutely not. And indeed, when I had opportunities, I turned it down. <laughs> you know, and there's a particular piece where, where I think nails it really. Um, when I'm playing for Celtic and I end up, you know, leaving them, they kick me out. Uh, fair enough, I, I agreed with them. Uh, spent my time getting my education, and then what happens is Clyde want me to go to them, and I'm. I'm totally against the idea because, you know, I'm too busy playing with my mates at football, doing my degree, and then they told me they'll pay me 35 quid a week, and I went, where do we sign? Because <laughs> as a student, you need the money, and how many albums can that buy? Um, and then when I was at Clyde, Chelsea tried to buy me, and I turned them down for a year. Now, you don't turn them down for a year if, you know, if you want to be a professional footballer. You turn them down because you think, that's not what I want to do. It's not that I want to do. It's just, I didn't like the odds apart from anything else. So few footballers make a, a living out at the ones that start really young. And I was still young at the time. And, uh, you know, I wanted to finish that degree. Uh, but, you know, as the book tells you, it's, it gets very complicated and, you know, but fun as well. Trying to be right on and do the right thing, but also enjoy myself. And I found a way around it. So, yeah. I have to say it was an accident. Can I tell you a wee story just before you go on here? There's a guy that I had... Do it. There's a guy that I had... Um, when I was with Clay... I was with Garkosh, And I had a bet with this guy. One of my mates... This guy got in really well with Brian Sweeney. And uh, we had a, a bet. Whoever scores the best goal against this team here, you know, he, he buys the other an album. Now, I won the bet. I scored a good goal. It was against Clyde Reserves. In that game, Craig Brown was watching. And at the end of that game, he wanted me to sign up. Right, so my whole career goes down to this bet. Haven't seen Brian Sweeney for 35 years. I'm meeting him tomorrow because of the book. (laughs) I mean, how fabulous is that? I mean, how utterly beautiful is that? Brian hadn't... And we were just great, great, great friends. But, you know, you move about, you fall out of um, nausea where each other are. So uh, forget about everything else with the book. I met up with Brian again. It's class. <laughs> but but we're talking then about, you know, Pat Nevin joining us to have a little look at Scotland and the Euros. And because you've got the accident footballer out in book form, published by Mona Ray, it's hit the Sunday Times top 10 bestsellers. Uh, I've read it. It's fabulous. Martin Gregg is producing and listening, has read it. It, it. He thinks it's fabulous. Key to everything is that it's you. But picking up your story about Brian... T- <sighs> This idea about certain people, I don't know if it's synchronicity, but I certainly feel, and it's weird you say that about you and Brian, is that 
this morning, for whatever reason, I had a bad night, I didn't sleep, and I was thinking about my life, and I was thinking about the number of times where somebody, some celestial presence, has just reached over and tapped me on the shoulder and gone, today it's you. And, and the ripples from that will last a lifetime, have lasted a lifetime. And, and the fact that there's an incident that, I won't spoil too much, but it's, it's, in, it's in the prologue where you talk about somebody asking you to do something that makes you, makes you go, oh, that's not the way I want to be. And it drives you to thinking about writing differently and eventually writing a book. And here you are getting together and presumably, hopefully, when you get together, Brian, each of you are going to take the, the latest albums that, that you love to this meeting over a couple of beers. Do you feel um, that some people in this life are just touched by a little bit of, I don't know what it is, synchronicity, magic, lightning? It is, but it's also being aware. It's also looking to yourself and saying, look, can I possibly take a negative and get a positive out of it? And my life has always been like that. You know, you see uh, things that happen to you, things that are other people would be, I'm not saying destroyed by, but affected negatively by and duck away from. And I'm very much not like that. I mean, very much, if a thing happens, I'll say, where's the fun in that? And it is the fun. Um, it's a classic story I often tell, but if, if you put my name into to Google, what you will get is um, me missing a penalty against Manchester City. And it's rubbish. I mean, it's absolutely hopeless. That's the first thing that comes up. I want to take the positives out of that. I laugh my head off. And there's a story that goes behind it. And then the, the manager talked to me afterwards and I ended up asking people to put that, that up on uh, YouTube purely because I, I thought there was a laugh to be had that people would understand that it's not the most important thing in the world get it in some sort of perspective. So, to your point, it's a great question that you're asking there. Mine isn't necessarily people, it's just your attitude to circumstances. When something happens and it's negative, or it feels negative, look at the positives from it, see what you can learn from it. Um, so bad things don't happen, you just learn. <laughs> well, this I hope this doesn't sound like a, a clumsy Dave Lee Travis 1970s link of one record into another, because it's it's not meant to be, but there's, I think there's a link from what you said about taking <clears throat> difficult circumstances and turning them to your favour. And it also links us into the fact that this bloody tournament is going to put Scotland against Wem England at Wembley, which is to any thinking person has to say, just don't, don't give us that just yet. We're, we're only just getting Bambi steps forward. It's the wrong time. To... Anyway... You and Brian McClare, another guest on the big interview, um, are, are like-minded, you're independent, relatively stubborn, argumentative if needs be. And prior to, or in the build-up to, in the months building up to your first Scotland-England that you, you star in, you get put, you and Chucky McClare, at a table at the Scotland squad gathering by somebody with a pretty deathly sense of humour. The two young kids, particularly the two young kids who are going to be regarded as um, punks, independent, to be put in their place, you get put at a table with Alan Hansen and the king, Kenny Dalglish. And I don't know what, trouble ensues, sparks fly, cliches abound, tell your own tale, Pat. Do you know, the hilarious thing about it is, um, so yeah, right, Brian McClellan and I, two kids going into the squad, and we get sat at a table, we're last in, we get sat at a table with... Uh, Hanson and, Ke and Kenny and I'd watched Kenny as a kid I was Celtic support as a kid so I admired him hugely that's putting that light one but of course they start taking the mick because that's the Liverpool way 
and they expect us to roll over and have our tummies tickled and like we're not like that so we have a dig back and and, and it evolves and I remember I, I don't know if I put these words in the book but I mean this, they said something that was in and we answer, I answered in footballerese, just, you know, as, as footballers do, not using... And uh, I think uh, Jockey Hansen said, oh, that's not correct English. And I said, well, actually, I used the nominative, not the ablative there for a reason. Um, <laughs> and then went on to one. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was the last thing in the world mm. he expected. And he's going, oh, you're a smart arse, or whatever. And I'm going... No, well, if you want to take the mic, well, there's a reason for it. I'll explain why I use that deliberately incorrect use of English. Um, and then it started, and he goes, you're a cheeky wee thing. Well, do you, not, do you not take being wound up? And it just grew. And Chalky jumped in, and obviously Kenny's come in as well. And in the end, the manager came over and moved us and said, you two get away from there. And of course, it's not a story against Hansen and the Gleach. It's basically a story of, this is what it's like in football. There will be inverted commas, bullying, as in put you in your place. But of course, they, have, they, they just chose the wrong people, two kids who don't care, two kids that have both been doing degrees, two kids that will say, no, no, we'll stand up for ourselves, because uh, football's a wee bit like that, or it used to be like that, certainly. It was a very macho, male-dominated culture of power, etc. Um, but of course, being from my position of the accidental and unexpected footballer, I don't care. I'll have a dig. I don't care what your norms are. I have my own norms and I'll deal with them my way. To go back to that original anecdote from Accidental Football, your sparkiness earned you pretty quick um, respect from King Kenny, which um, tells you a little bit about even in the most extreme circumstances where um, that wasn't a, 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 a life golf stream of information that was a one-off against legends and it had it gone had they taken against you forever it wouldn't have changed you or your essence but it would have been much more scarring if you could never get respect from king kenny thereafter but you speculate and and, and you struck a chord with me amongst thousands in the pages but you talked about the way in which you felt that maybe some people in that squad in the build-up to an england game at wembley in the months building up to it I'd felt, yeah, that's not just two lads standing up for themselves. They're standing up against two Anglos. And you put your, your finger on something that I, I think is reverse for when Scotland play England at Wembley in this tournament. Because you and I, um, and the Scotland manager with whom you played um, at youth level for Scotland, and, and in fact you and Steve Clark are part of the greatest ever World Cup performance by any Scotland side, um, not only through a group, but a quarter-final. You and the Scot current Scotland manager played together. You played a season and a half, or maybe a season just a bit more, uh, for Chelsea together. You played in his debut once he, he moved um, to Stamford Bridge. But Anglos were, were viewed differently then. And in the accidental football, you talk about the way in which maybe there were one or two in that squad going, uh, the cocky Anglos, you think they're the kings of the blah, blah, blah. And you and Jockey McClare had gone... Bosh, there you are, we're up for it. One pack for those who are listening who don't remember that both from home base players, the media and fans, so I know fans who turned up at Hamden to give stick to Soonis and Doug Leash and Hansen simply because they played in England. Now, 
one confirmed for, for the listeners who aren't old enough like you and I to, to remember that. And two, it's so different. Our options of playing well against England aren't simply the, across the squad. There are, there are several well-talented footballers and they're well-coached. It's that we now want and need more and more footballers to be taking their knocks, learning their skills, learning reaction time. In the Premier League, we do have those and, and that group in general will be key if we can get a good result against um, against England in this group. Do you know, it's a, it's a, I think it's an absolutely massively important point you're making there. Um, when I first went into the Scotland squads, um, to be honest, the, the Anglos and the, the players that are playing up in Scotland, there was a massive schism. There really was. It was never openly spoke of, but there was a schism. And you can't really get as far as you should get if that actually exists. Now, from the players that were, you know, if you were Douglas, Sunis, Hansen, these are people that win the European Cup as Champions League, as would be known then, uh, would be known now. But the others up in Scotland, you know, William Millers and you know, Alan McLeishes and all them players, when they had come to, and the Celtic players, they had done an incredible job at their level. But there was a schism, not just between the fans and the Anglos, but some of the players as well. Um, and I could feel that. The guy who broke it was Andy Roxburgh. He absolutely broke it. He just said, we're not having that. So by the time you get myself and McClare and your Brian Garner, people like that, we're no longer Anglos. We're just Scottish guys that happen to be playing in England. And that is absolutely our attitude. We are, there is no problem between us. There's no difficulty between us and anyone else. Uh, so that was, that was Roxburgh. And to be honest, he doesn't get enough credit for that, that he made sure that that never happened again. And if anyone behaved in that way, if anyone was, say, an arrogant Anglo or a two-chippy Scotsman, then for a, a, it's a natural Aberdeen, Dundee United, Celtic Rangers player, they would get it and they would have been told, no, no, we're a group, we're a team, we're together. And uh, it did a fantastic job there. So it doesn't exist anymore. So you look at that team that you're talking about now. So you've got McTominay there, you've got Robertson there, you've got Tierney there. It's brilliant. And I can't imagine a, a Scotland fan not feeling the same way. Now, with these things, we want binary answers. And I, I'm not for binary answers with things in anything in life because it's not like that. Now, now you've got the media who are okay with it. They're fine with it. We Billy Gilmore come on the other day there and they'll all say, oh yeah, he is ready, right enough. Because <laughs> he is ready. He's ready now. You know, there's no worrying about him. He's not a young guy because he's quite small and absent. He's ready. Don't worry about him. Stick him in against England. He'll be fine. Now, he might not get a game because we're really strong there. So we've got that together. But we need players playing at the very, very top level if we're going to be competitive. The world's changed. The game's changed. The Euros have changed. When I played in the Euros, there was eight teams in the finals. Eight. You know, and look at how many teams there are now. Look at how much more difficult it is. It's difficult in some ways to get here now because some of the, a lot of the countries have improved massively. But somebody said to me the other day there, it's a tough group, Scotland, I've got, you know, they've got, they've got England, they've got Croatia, you know, they've got Czech Republic. And I'm going, yeah, well, we had the world champions, the European champions, <laughs> and a little country called Russia. Well, they called themselves CIS at the time. So we had the Dutch, the Germans. You deal with what's in front of you. Can I tell you one thing that we have in common from that group, which was Euro 92, to this group? And it's, it's, it's lovely to see, and I've not seen it for a long time. The one thing that we all have in common now is we want to have a go at them, and we don't care who they are. And I was a team with Gary McAllister, and as you say, Brian, and Goffey, and Coisty. 
we are brilliant players for that Euro 92 team and we should we should have been allowed to have a right good go at them a wee bit earlier be they German be they Dutch I think Clark is going to let these players off the leash now because do you think Robertson's scared of anyone? Do you think Tierney's scared of anyone? Do you think McTominay is? They're not. So they want to have a go. We know that player for player in the depth of a squad we're not to the level of some of the other teams. And I'm not saying we're going to go and even qualify out of this group. But I'll tell you what, we're going to have a go this time because we've got the type of players that are willing to do it. admit that they don't know Steve Clark very well that he doesn't get his uh, personality across massively because he just, I mean listen I spent a day with him in Alicante recently and you know he told me that he was he was pleased to chat because I'd spent my working life in in Spain he wanted to know more about life over here but he doesn't really enjoy the media duties and he doesn't really respect the majority of the media and therefore why don't you try and explain a little bit about Steve Clark you know from Scotland and Chelsea days as, as a man. Right, right. The first thing you mentioned is that humour, right? So the humour is limited what you get to see, right? But when you get to see it, it is classic and there is a direct line and it's a, it's a type of humour that, and it's not, I'm not being anti-English or anti-anything here. It's just a very specific Scottish thing. Now, if you look at Stevie Clark and we've mentioned Brian McClare and we've mentioned Ken Douglas, and then you look at somebody like Andy Murray and you start thinking, actually, I can see a line there of that doer kind of unbelievably arid, dry humour that they've got. And you start thinking, we're actually like that. If you go a wee bit further back, and I think it's any comedy roots, if you talk about the doer guys that we are mentioning, there, all those players like Kenny, etc., I think you then go back all the way from Andy Murray all the way to Czech Murray. And then the Reverend I am Jolly, for anyone who's Scottish out there, you know, it's like we kind of <laughs> like this weird doorness and we kind of get it as Scots. And I, it's hard to explain what it is. I mean, we get it more than even other Celts, you know, like the Irish and that. It's a very specific part of our humour. And Clark is like that as a person. So he's honest. The first word, if you asked me to say a word about him, I'd say honest. Um, he's driven. Not to be famous. That's the bit that we don't get, that others don't understand. See if you're driven to be good at something. It's to be good at something. It's not to be famous to be good at something. There's a big difference there. There's a massive difference there. But some of us just get it and understand, no, no, you do it for the right reasons, to be the best you can be, but also to give the best to whatever your community is, be it the Scotland squad or whatever. So Clarkie's got that. He's also... Um, he's not if he doesn't have to go and talk and party he won't he enjoys his time with his family he enjoys his time with close mates and he is absolutely and utterly normal it's a bit like myself I think if you give him a big flashy Rolls Royce car he'll give you it back <laughs> that's not what we're looking for you know it's not what you want in life um, and he, I've seen his can I give you a wee discomfort moment with Clarkie very classic and it was a few years ago now six seven years ago and it was his 50th birthday. And he had it at the, one of the golf courses in Ayrshire, which is now owned by a certain former ex-president of the US of A, 
but it wasn't owned by him then. <laughs> and uh, he had his uh, party there. And I said, I'll oh, come along. Because so, we're good mates. Honest to God, some of the people that were there, and I'm thinking, Clarky, honestly, you just look as if you're hobnobbing with superstars, mate. And he goes, I know, but they're my mates. <laughs> you know, you don't get to work with Mourinho or to work with Doug Leach or to work with Bobby Robson or to work with Rod Hulett or to work with Zola. Was, they don't all get you because you're a good lad. They keep on working you and keep on getting you because you know your stuff. You are hot as hot can be with the technical side of it, which he is. And also, you're utterly trustworthy that you will not let them down. You will, but if there's something wrong, they will turn around and say it to your face. You know, and so all those qualities, you ask him what it was like, that's the qualities of the guy. You can kind of see some of them, but there's no act. That's it. I mean, a, brilliant, a great example, I can't remember if I've told you this before, Graham. Um, he was telling me this story about uh, Mourinho and him. So Mourinho, I mean, how he got the job with Chelsea was amazing, because you know, never knew Mourinho for a madam. But a day later, he was the assistant. And Mourinho had, it's amazing, he just went in and said to Mourinho, I know you've come in, I know you're manager, and uh, you know, I, I hope you do well with the club, this is a great club, hope you do well. And Mourinho went, thanks. And he goes, and Clarky said, if you need me for anything, uh, I'm here, but if you don't, I understand. And then left. Just typical Clarky, do the right thing. And Mourinho phones him up, either that night or the next morning, and said, do you want to be assistant manager? And Clarky went, eh? <laughs> How would that come about? It's become a goat because he's gone and asked various people. He's understood. And he's got a guy who's walked into his office and said, do the best for this club. I care about this club. And he's asked about it and found out all the right answers. But within a, a very short period of time, they're up playing at Newcastle. And uh, Mourinho, they're having a nightmare. And Chelsea always have a bad time up at Newcastle. And uh, he decides to make three subs at half time. And Clark he says, don't do that. What if somebody gets injured? And he just said, no, no, I'll do it. And it was that standing up to him. Now, somebody did get injured, and they ended up playing with 10 men, and they lost the game. And Clarkie said to him afterwards, well, you got that wrong, didn't you? So say it to me, just say it. To which Mourinho said, no, I didn't, got it right. I.e., I've done that 10 times. It's worked nine times in a row. So it doesn't work once, doesn't make it wrong. It means that's the right thing to do at the right time. So a guy will stand up to anyone, not because you're arrogant, it's because you need to be able to question. And I think we've all seen in football recently, when you don't stand up to power, they make a pig's area. <laughs> I give you the Super League stuff. Do you know, Pat, linking from what you've described there about Steve Clark, as we come to the last little section of the interview, I listened to Steve talking when he announced his squad, and people were peppering him with questions about absences or injuries. He said, he used a really nice phrase that I don't hear. He said, I'm a coach. What I love best is coaching. I'm looking forward to getting away to Alicante and coaching through these problems. So there are many ways to answer that. Rubbish, it's not a problem. Or I've got a perfect, this player will step in for that player. Or Van Halen said, siempre negativo, nunca positivo. There are so many ways to... to... And Steve said, that's my job. I, I love coaching. And I asked him last weekend in Alicante whether he was a big beneficiary of, of players now. I think we live in an age of ultra-coaching. Often managers from your era, when I was growing up, they get called managers and their coaching ability doesn't necessarily get acknowledged. But predominantly, the industry was about managers and there was a lot more was about man management and about individual relationships and one guy ruled the roost. 
Now, for better or worse, we're into an era of really micro-coaching, all the technology, modern ways of thinking about problems. And I asked Steve if he thought that he was inheriting a lot of players who've been really well, really well coached. And I was thinking about maybe Armstrong under Hassenhutl, who will be coached to within Klopp and Robertson, will be coached to within an inch of his life, etc. And he quite liked that idea, the idea that he's, he's not just using in this tournament talented footballers, but guys who are already, they have a, a football acuity. Do you see the connection between that, some of those in, in, in the group and, and him and how that can be two plus two equals five for Scotland? Yes, I, I absolutely can. Um, it's come back to who Clark he's worked under and worked with. There's some of the, the, the brilliant names he's worked with. He will take only the bits that he wants out of them and he will continue to use his own personality in the midst of it all. And that's exactly what he's doing. Now, if it means one player needs a little bit more micromanaged than another, he will do that. If he needs to find a complicated way around a problem, he will, he will think it through. He was, I almost think um, there's a movie, oh, everything comes back with movies or music to me. Um, but remember the movie The Martian? And... <laughs> He has to go and the, the, in the movie The Martian, what he has to do is he has to go and science the shit out of it to make sure he can make things grow right. Clarky's like that. I'm going to really logically science it or think it or consider it from every single answer and I find an answer to it. Now you had two mega, mega problems, right? And they didn't need micromagic. They needed a, fig, a way of figuring it out. How do you get the best out of Tierney and Robertson at the same time? It's, it's actually... It sounds hard. You tried loads of different things. You might have noticed. Stuck uh, uh, it right back at one point. He's perfectly good there. He's very, very good there. But he's not going to get his crosses in and he's not going to be as good a player there. So you had to manage a way. And he has found that way. Obviously, Tierney's the right left centre-back and Robertson's in the head. But more importantly, they're interchangeable. And they will drag. One will go, one will stay, one will move, one will go inside, underlap. Clarky and I worked on underlapping all the time in our period of time at Chelsea, right? Which was an unusual thing at the time. But he's not forget, forgotten any of those tiny little things and it doesn't matter where in the park you do it. He had another problem. He had to get McTominay out of centre defence. He had to get him into midfield. And it was difficult because he took him out and left a gap. Um, but he's, he's managed the whole thing around it and it's, it's taken a while to do that. And that's what infuriates me a little bit. A lot of coaches spend a bit of time, a lot of time micromanaging. When in actual fact, there's a hell of a big picture there. You better make sure you're seeing that big picture. Because if you're not seeing that... I mean, I'm, the two examples of it, and, and I'll try and stop, because once I start, I can't stop. The mm-hmm. beloved Pep. The beloved Pep. I was, at, I was in Porto for the Champions League final. And I, I adore Pep. I love him with such a passion for what he has done for the game. I, what he has done for the game, the British game, and Scott, an English game in particular, I think he's dragged it on quicker than anybody else I can remember. However, tactically in the game against Chelsea, honest to God, the Porter, I thought, I can't believe you're doing this. And I see the team at the start, and then I see the way they line up, and I'm going, no, Pep. And I'm, I'm a Chelsea man, and I'm going, but no, Pep, don't do that. Because he's overcomplicated. He really, really has. And it was so sad to see that, because 99% of the time he gets it absolutely nailed on right and better than everyone else. So you can make a manage to your own, to, to affect yourself sometimes. And again, with Pep, it's rare. It's very rare, but it happened on that occasion. And I was there to watch it, and it was sad. 
Um, but on the other side of it, you know, Clarky said a, a wee line, just throw a wee line. You might be able to find it somewhere. Somebody asked him about Billy Gilmore the other day. And it was a real throw you wouldn't notice it. It was right in the middle of a quote. And he said, uh, how's he going to be? And he said, oh, well, we'll, we'll have a look at him. He's not concussed. He got a hat against Luxembourg. He done really well for us. Uh, we'll, t- we'll take a look at everything. We'll take the medics. We'll have a word with them. We'll look at this, the sports scientists and then we'll... And throw away line. See the other managers. They'll say, no, no, we'll, we'll listen for an hour to the support scientists. We'll, have, we'll take two hours from this lot. No, no. I'll take on board what they've got to say and then I'll consider whether I ignore it or not. That's Clarky. That's almost the question you're answered, asking, I think. You can, if, as long as you can stand slightly above that and take the right information and go ahead with that without being absolutely bombarded with it. And by the way, it happens to the best. Sir Alec had it at Manchester United. I happened to know he had it because they had to try and find out a pro- the problem that we're getting too much information from too many different parts of the club. And it was bursting his head because all the information from all the professionals were telling them opposing things. <laughs> so you have to be able to make, micromanage what gets to you. That's the thing that you have to micromanage. So, you know, some managers do it. Clarky, for me, with that no-nonsense attitude, he's kind of nailing it at the moment. He's kind of getting it right. Let, let me throw two, two little ways out of this um, interview uh, at you. Let's say I told you um, that overnight I've been made Scotland manager and Steve, because Steve's won the Euro Millions and he's only not the Scotland manager because he's, he's playing golf in, I don't know, Hawaii. And I picked this team, which would be Marshall in goals, the back three from right to left, Henry, Hanley, Tierney, the three in midfield, McGinn, McTominay, Gilmore. I'm d- I- I'm thinking Armstrong, but I'm going to say Gilmore. Left wing back, Robertson, obviously. <sighs> Patterson, right wing back, maybe. Or Donald Patterson. And up front, I'm really conflicted. I like we we uh, Fraser. Um, I think he's got elements of a 10 around him. I think that his making, as much as his pace, is really important. And I'm now toiling between Adams and Lyndon Dykes. But there's my 11, more or less. Who do you strongly disagree with? How much do you like the the concept of who fits with whom? I can't see that we'll start um, a three five two with two strikers up. I think it'll be one off. I think the midfield. Uh, you did say McGinn, didn't you? <laughs> Please tell me you said McGinn. Yeah, I'm <laughs> see, see, yeah. see, I think what? the temptation will be to play the three at the back, and it's definitely going to be it'll be it'll be Hanley, it'll be Tierney, and it'll be A and other right. So, and you can argue who the A and other is. I would love to see uh, the youngster getting the right wing back role, but because I I just think he's class and it might be worth it. But Clarkie will look at that closely. Robertson's obvious as well. Uh, I want to see McTominay in the midfield. I want to see McGinn there. Um, I think it will be Armstrong. Uh, he's I've watched him quite a lot this season. Uh, he's in brilliant form at the moment. I think he's been rested, ready for it. And I think it will be. Um, Billy will get his opportunity, uh, but a wee bit, wee bit after that. Uh, people that don't watch him too often think, oh, can you, can you put him in a wee bit further forward? Don't. He is Jorginho. He, he can do that stuff, right? So he's better a wee bit deeper. The up front, Adams is technically miles ahead of anyone else. Miles and miles ahead. I mean, again, I've got to see him quite a bit. Um, and we've won a watch getting him. You know, I mean, he, he's not Harry Kane, 
but he's technically above anything we've got. So you're right, it's that one other position. It could be Fraser. It could be... You could go for the other big striker. You could go for Dykes or whatever. I have a suspicion he tries to get the extra midfielder in there and pushes McGinn forward. I think that's what he does. Because when we lose it, then we can get really tight and deep for a while. So you actually could probably squeeze wee Billy in there and move McGinn one off. Um, a lot of the teams at the moment are playing, and I think it would suit Scotland now, it's really a 3-4-2-1. I think that's what it is for us now. And it's the two behind the one that is all the questions about just now. And, you know, do you know the fact that we've actually got questions now? Ain't that great? <laughs> we didn't used to have that. We used to, like, can we get 11 out there <laughs> that are of a standard that we feel comfortable with? I think we've got a few. Uh, I wish we had Forrest fully fit. I think he would give us another brilliant option. He's there, but in, in, of course Christie's another one that can give you that as well. Um, but I think, I think, like you say, there's probably eight stroke nine that are chosen already. They're, they're there, and we know who they are. And the great news is, they're all fit. And <laughs> never happens to Scotland. <laughs> I think you've given a hint already of what you're going to answer here. But our, our wonderful sponsors, BetCC's Five, one a man of the day, and we're you know as this interview goes out, who's your because you're Pat Nevin, you're allowed to choose a man of the tournament as well that's, that you think is going to light things up, that's going to make your work happy work. But so let's start with Scotland. Who's, who's the Pat Nevin man of the tournament for Scotland? I, I hope it's McGinn. It deserves to be McGinn for Scotland. I hope it is because, right, OK, there's a, a minor bias there. I watched him through at Hibs and he was fabulous. Um, and he's extra special. There is a chance it could be Tierney for us because Tierney's world class. And I say that with with no worry at all I think he's a world class football player and I think there's I don't think there's many teams in the world that wouldn't put him in the team and he's that good um, but I hope it's McGinn because he'll deliver something going forward for us he's had such a great season or so he's grown as a player um, matured fantastically uh, and I hope he's the one that, that really jumps out for us That's it deserves to be him I, you know obviously I'd like to see someone like Wee Billy or something but you know his time will come but I think it will, and I hope it will be John McGinn for us. Uh, he, he, you look at his goal scoring and compare it to everybody else in Scotland squad, and he's it's not a fluke. He, he does it because he's quality and he knows when to run, when to move, when to get into those positions. And uh, I can give you a quote. He signed for Aston Villa, and I've got a few friends of Villa fans, and they said, what would it be like? And I said, I'm just going to tell you one thing. You're going to be in love with that guy <laughs> as a football fan you will fall in love with them and I've said the same to Arsenal fans about Tierney you don't worry you'll fall in love with them because they can play and boy do they give you every single effort every single game so McGinn I hope would be the one for Scotland and the tournament? Um, again it might be early um, I watched a lot of a lot of players this season it might be early but Kai Havertz actually is unbelievable I've seen he had such a terrible start to the season and he was a mess he, had, he honestly it was it was just a mess and he just looked like a wee boy and then uh, it, it was about the last third of the season there I was watching him and you cannot describe that player's play without using the word elegant you can't do it and then you realise oh my god you're seeing things that nobody else is seeing and as, as it's gone by this last three or four weeks maybe a bit more than that 
I'm seeing things from that kid. So it might not happen now, but it will. He'll be one of the important players going forward in world football. Um, it might be the breakthrough now. And by the way, here's a guy who's just scored a win in the Champions League football and I'm looking for him to break through. <laughs> but, I mean, he's a very, no, very special no. talent. Pat Nevin, um must just been so much of a joy. You, people listening to you over uh, the tournament on BBC Radio 5 Live and on Off The Ball are going to have a treat. Have a wonderful Euro. Enjoy it. I, I just hope it gives you the satisfaction that your powers of communication deserve. Have a brilliant tournament. And hey, hey, maybe you'll be commentating on the first Scotland team other than yours in Mexico to qualify out of a group. I would love that more than anything. <laughs> Have a good tournament, everyone.